0: live from gloucester this is the saturday breakfast show with darren lester and you are listening live
1: are you looking for a way to fill some time in class over these next few days if you are then this is a show for you as we listen to some favorite puppet domain christmas stories you would like to share in your classroom as we inch towards the end of the year
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or join in the conversation by downloading the Podbean app and following Teachers Talk Radio. Hashtag TTRadio.
1: Good morning from a positively balmy Gloucester this morning where it is minus three. We are at minus three right now, which is, let's be honest, a high for this last week. Uh, You know, when I've been trudging to school in minus eight, I think was the lowest I've been at in so far this week. Um, We will take minus three. We will enjoy minus three. (laughs) Um, No, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not enjoying it because I really am. I really am. I've shared on the show before that I am a fan of of winter weather. Um I I like this much more than I like blazing sunshine and and heat. Because I think it's much easier to to regulate in the cold. I think it's much easier to put a blanket around you and and grab a hot drink and a hot water bottle and warm yourself up than it is to uh, to try and cool yourself down. So I've been enjoying it quite frankly. Uh, the only thing that I didn't enjoy was my walk home from school on Thursday, when I managed to slip three times, twice, on the same icy patch. Um, it was not an enjoyable experience. And the worst thing was, somebody warned me. Um, there was there was literally a sheet of ice crossing the pavement um, as I came around the corner. There were two young girls kind of standing by it. They must have been, I would put them about year eight. So I think they were probably about 13, 14, Um, And they were chatting to each other and I heard one of them say, oh, I wouldn't if I were you. And um, I thought she was talking to her mate. So I just carried on. And then I went down. Uh, And that was when I realised she was in fact talking to me, um, advising me against walking across the sheet of ice that I hadn't spotted, which uh, which wasn't fun. So then on my way back up, uh, I just went down again, landed on the same side, um, my left, my left hand side, which is not good for a left handed person. Uh, but I managed to get myself up a second time, and and cross onto where it was less icy. I I applaud the 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 girl who warned me um, because she did then ask me whether I was okay. Uh, and the second time that I went down, she offered to help me up. You know, she was she was very very kind. It was really nice. And in an age where we keep hearing about how young people are rude young people sort of don't uh, don't have respect for their elders um, it was nice for her to to offer it was afterwards that i wondered whether this sheet of ice existed because her and her friend had perhaps been skating on it (laughs) and that only came because as i was walking to school friday morning um, i was following some parents not not of my school of one of the other local primary schools um, and the kids were enjoying themselves sliding across the ice and I thought, oh, I wonder if the reason that girl and her friends were there were because uh, that's what they had been doing. But uh, other than that, other than that, it's been it's been quite enjoyable. Monday was the most interesting day, in my opinion, because, uh, of course, Monday, Sunday was when we had the snowfall. It was amazing, probably the best snowfall uh, that I personally have experienced in England, uh, mostly because it was sustained. Where I live, we don't tend to have sustained snowfall. Um, So it was quite nice for it to snow practically all of Sunday. Then Sunday night was quite interesting. Um, I watched the county council school and library closures website update in real time. Uh, I work in an independent school, so my school doesn't uh, announce whether it's closed on there anyway. But it was quite interesting to watch the numbers go up um, as Sunday went through. About 100 schools in my county ended up closing on Sunday night um, into Monday. So about 100 schools were closed on Monday. Uh, mine was not. Um, I don't think we've ever closed for snow, maybe twice in the 11 years that I've been working there. Um, it's hardly ever. I must say, I've, thinking about it, none of the schools that I've worked in, um, and even going back and thinking about the training schools that I worked in, um, tended not to close for snow. So it was quite interesting to watch the county council website and see, you know, a hundred schools close. And of those hundred schools, I noted a few had set work on their VLE for the kids to do, and that was absolutely fine. But it was only a handful. Um, It was maybe 15 at the very most at my last count. Uh, But I only noted one had opted to do live lessons On monday only one had shut the school and it said teachers will be on teams for lessons as normal please follow your timetable um which contrasted with the outcry that i saw on twitter which was all about how we were losing snow days and you know the distance learning that we did during the pandemic was putting an end to snow days because all schools were going to function as normal and wasn't that a shame that um that we weren't allowing children to experience the snow to have fun out in the snow And so it was quite interesting for me to see that um, to see that dichotomy, to see where um, where the opinions of the teachers were not aligning with the experience as I was living it. You know, going into a school that was open in the snow, um, walking past local primaries that were open in the snow that were letting the kids out and play in the snow before going in to register. Um, and a lot of schools that were closed and had either set work for the children to do if they had wanted to, if they weren't going out to play in the snow or just weren't setting work at all. So, as somebody who is a big um, advocate for distance learning and who who really got behind online education during lockdown and, and I, I think it's really sad that we've lost a lot of those skills that we learned, a lot of that education that we brought up um, during lockdown. I'm I'm really sad that that all went in the hurry to get back to normal. Um, I am actually quite glad to see that we haven't lost snow days because in England, and like I said, certainly where I am, they don't happen that often. It may be one or two in an academic year if we are lucky, uh, I think I went through my entire schooling as a child without having a snow day. Um, it's only been the past few years, really, where it's kind of become a thing. And it's it's important for children to experience the snow because it happens so rarely. I was reminded of this especially this week because a lot of my students are international um, and we have a big contingent at the moment from Nigeria. And a lot of those children were experiencing snow for the very first time. Uh, and in fact, there was a lady as I was walking through the high street on my way to work yesterday morning uh, who had stopped to speak to another lady. Um, and, and she was telling this this other lady about how she was from South Africa and had never experienced snow before. And and love her. She must have been, I would place her in her early 70s. Um, and, you know, she was experiencing her first snowfall. And every time the snow comes, it does feel like that first snowfall. I don't know whether it's because I don't get to experience it very often, um, or I don't know whether it's just because of the magic of snow, but it does always feel like that first time. And so I think the the idea of getting rid of snow days is clearly a bad one. And I think it's great that uh, that so many schools stayed open, I do, and are and just did their curricula so that the children could have fun Um, and I think it's great that actually so many schools said no go out and play in the snow you know even if you are 17 go and play in the snow because that opportunity that opportunity doesn't come around very often and it's really important for us to make the most of it
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
2: The long debate as to whether a Yorkshire pudding belongs on a Christmas dinner has often been a talking point on social media. This year, however, the debate has reached new heights after an 11-year-old schoolgirl was left unimpressed by the failure to include her favourite item on the school Christmas lunch. The Daily Mirror carries details after the pupil's letter to a head teacher was shared on social media. The 11-year-old pupil from a Lancashire primary school sent the strongly worded email after she noticed that none of the pupils were served Yorkshire puddings, but staff were. The email referred to the puddings as food of the gods and as golden delicacies, and described the actions of the school as cruel and callous. Puddings for all were demanded, going forward. The head teacher took the complaint seriously but in good humour and even agreed to take part in a conciliatory dance-off to make up for it. The dance-off was conducted in front of the whole school with only one clear winner, the 11 year old. So for all those still debating whether Yorkshire puddings belong on a Christmas dinner, be prepared to hit the dance floor to settle the argument. Chester Zoo and the University of Chester have joined forces for a new course focusing on conservation and sustainability education. This course offers the first opportunity anywhere in the world for education professionals to gain a recognised qualification. The course will launch in 2023 and allow those studying to gain a postgraduate certificate. The course aims to provide educators with knowledge and skills needed to help learners maximise the impact they can have in carving a better future for the planet. Full details of the new course can be found on the University of Chester website. Whilst recruitment and retention of teachers and other professionals in the UK has been a frequent topic of discussion, Nigerian news outlet, The Nation, looks at the topic from another angle. The article focuses on what it describes as a mass exodus of licensed medical doctors and other health professionals. more developed countries and now the fear is changes to UK immigration rules will have a further impact on the education sector. According to a recent announcement from February 1st 2023, teachers from Nigeria and other countries who qualify will be able to apply to to be teachers in the UK. Whilst this is a step in the right direction for recruitment in the UK, there are fears in Nigeria and other nations that this will lead to a further brain drain that can only have a negative impact on the youth of these other nations. Finally, with many schools already broken up for the Christmas break, it's left only to wish all school staff an enjoyable holiday, while sending solidarity to those who, according to a recent Teacher Tap survey, are pushing on into this week, particularly to the 7% of staff. Who don't break up until Friday the 23rd of December keep going this has been your teachers talk radio news with Joe Fox
0: this is two minute tech with Steve Woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio hello and welcome to the 50th episode of two minute tech this week I want to make an appeal I'd love to know about real classroom tech situations. I want to speak to teachers of all subjects about how they use tech. How do you engage your pupils using tech? Because I'm telling you now, other people will want to know what you're doing. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and let us know what you want to tell us about tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Okay,
1: I have just tweeted to to make my opinions clear, but just so that we are in no doubt whatsoever, yes, Yorkshire puddings on a Christmas dinner, completely. Why would you not? Seriously, why would you not? The whole point is to feast. That is what Christmas is for. It's the feast of the birth of Christ, if you are taking a, a religious stance. And so you're gonna want as much food there as you can afford of course, in these trying economic times. So yes, yes, Christmas puddings, yes to everything. I'm, I'm not even opposed to sprouts being there, despite the fact that they are Satan food. Um Before we get on with the, um, with the crux of my show today, which is sharing some stories with you, um, I do want to share some good news uh, that I have had recently, uh, since I was with you last, a couple of weeks ago, And that is that I have been accepted by the University of Reading to do my doctorate in education, starting in February. Um, I will, pending um, acceptance of my references, just to to get that out there in case I need to make an embarrassed tweet at some point saying that I'm I'm not doing the course after all. Um, I will be exploring um, self-efficacy, enjoyment and the gamification of learning uh, in languages. And so I'm really, really excited about that. I'm so excited, in fact, that I've already printed off some articles to be reading over Christmas, um, which might be jumping the gun a little bit, considering I don't start until February. Um, but it's going to be really good to to engage with with other teachers, to engage with the research and to really look at how we can make education fun. Because ultimately, and I think that kind of is... is what a lot of my shows are driven by here at Teach Talk Radio is this idea that learning should be fun. Not just because um our children are children, and they are, whether we are teaching uh two and three year olds in nursery, whether we are teaching 17 and 18 year olds in year thirteen, whether we are teaching fifty year olds in adult education. Um, you know, that that actually doesn't matter. Everybody likes to have fun. But the fact is that learning is fun. It is. Uh, we wouldn't be teachers if we didn't believe that. We wouldn't be teachers or, or working in in education or with children if we didn't believe that learning is enjoyable. That broadening ho- our horizons, that that picking up new skills, picking up new information is is worthwhile. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that in getting bogged down in the paperwork, the exams the observations, the inspections, all of the the day to day nonsense that has got really very little impact on what happens in the classroom, um, in my opinion, uh, on, on what happens with those 30 kids when they are sitting in front of us. That we forget sometimes that we should be making our lessons fun, not just for Christmas, But but all year round. And so I'm really excited to kind of engage with enjoyment, to engage with games again, to get back to my primary roots, even in a secondary setting and think, you know, how can I make this enjoyable for the students and also for me? You know, as we teach the same content year in, year out, no matter how often they decide to change the format of exams, the content remains broadly the same, uh, particularly in languages. There are only so many words um that we can teach and so yeah i'm really excited i'm really excited to to get to grips with that and and hopefully to be sharing my my journey as much as i hate that word to be sharing my journey with you guys um on the show so there we go that is my that's my exciting announcement so now we will get on with some stories i enjoyed back just before halloween when i shared some of my favorite um uh, copyright-free, public domain spooky stories with you. So what I have got for you today is a range of stories um, that are in the public domain that come from the Children's Book of Christmas stories. And as I said, I think that these would be good ones. You can take the show and you can pop them on. If you are still teaching um, into next Friday, then you can just take 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I've got a range of a range of story lengths here. And, and just play the show. Um, obviously not the bit that's come before, <laughs> um, but you can play through some of these stories and let them listen. Um, or, of course, you can you can seek them out yourself um, if you enjoy these sorts of things. So the first story that we are going to listen to is by Olive, uh, Olive Miller, and it's called The Telltale Tile. Story
3: number five of the Children's Book of Christmas Stories. This is a Librivox recording. all Librivox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Elisa McCaslin, May 2012 The children's Book of Christmas stories by various artists The tale-tale tile by Olive Thorne Miller It begins with a bit of gossip of a neighbor who had come in to see Miss Bennett and was telling her about a family who had lately moved into the place and were in serious trouble. And they do say she'll have to go to the poorhouse, she ended. To the poorhouse? How dreadful! And the children, too? And Miss Bennet shuddered. Yes, unless somebody'll adopt them, and that's not very likely. Well, I must go, the visitor went on, rising. I wish I could do something for her, but with my house full of children, I've got use for every penny I can rake and scrape. "'I'm sure I have with only myself,' said Miss Bennet, as she closed the door. "'I'm sure I have,' she repeated to herself, as she resumed her knitting. "'It's as much as I can do to make ends meet, scrimping as I do, not to speak of laying up a cent for sickness and old age.' "'But the poor house,' she said again. "'I wish I could help her.' And the needles flew in and out, in and out, faster than ever, as she turned this over in her mind. I might give up something she said at last, though I don't know what, unless—unless—she said slowly, thinking of her one luxury—unless I give up my tea, and it don't seem as if I could do that. Some time the thought worked in her mind, and finally she resolved to make the sacrifice of her only indulgence for six months, and send the money to her suffering neighbour, Mrs. Stanley though she had never seen her, and she had only heard she was in want. How much of a sacrifice that was, you can hardly guess, you, Christie, who have so many luxuries! That evening Mrs. Stanley was surprised by a small gift of money from a friend, as was set on the envelope containing it. "'Who sent it?' she asked from the bed where she was lying. "'Miss Bennet told me not to tell,' said the boy, unconscious that he had already told." The next day Miss Bennet sat at the window knitting as usual, for her constant contribution to the poor fund of the church was a certain number of stockings and mittens, when she saw a young girl coming up to the door of the cottage. "'Who can that be?' she said to herself. "'I never saw her before.' "'Come in,' she called, in answer to a knock. The girl entered and walked up to Miss Bennet. "'Are you Miss Bennet?' she asked. "'Yes,' said Miss Bennet, with an amused smile. Well, I'm Hetty Stanley. Miss Bennett started, and her color grew a little brighter. I'm glad to see you, Hetty, she said. Won't you sit down? Yes, if you please, said Hetty, taking a chair near her. I came to tell you how much we love you for— Oh, don't. Don't say any more, interrupted Miss Bennet. Never mind that. Tell me about your mother and your baby brother. This was an interesting subject, and they talked earnestly about it. The time passed so quickly that before she knew it she had been in the house an hour. When she went away, Miss Bennet asked her to come again, a thing she had never been known to do before, for she was not fond of young people in general. But then, Hetty's different, she said to herself when wondering at her own interest. Did you think kind Miss Bennet was her mother's question as Hetty opened the door. Hetty stopped as if struck. Why, no, I don't think I did. And stayed so long, too? Whatever did you do? I've heard she isn't fond of people generally. We talked, and I think she's ever so nice. She asked me to come again. May I? Of course you may. If she cares to have you, I should be glad to do something to please her. That visit of Hetty's was the first of a long series almost every day she found her way to the lonely cottage where a visitor rarely came and a strange intimacy grew up between the old and the young hetty learned of her friend to knit and many an hour they spent knitting while miss Bennet ransacked her memory for stories to tell and then one day she brought down from a big chest in the garret two of the books she used to have when she was young and let hetty look at them one was thaddeus of warsaw and the other Scottish chiefs. Poor Hetty had not the dozens of books you have, and these were treasures indeed. She read them to herself, and she read them aloud to Miss Bennet, who, much to her own surprise, found her interest almost as eager as Hetty's. All this time Christmas was drawing near, and strange, unusual feelings began to stir in Miss Bennet's heart, though generally she did not think much about that happy time. She wanted to make Hetty a happy day. Money she had none, so she went into the garret, where her youthful treasures had long been hidden. From the chest from which she had taken the books she now took a small box of light-colored wood with a transferred engraving on the cover. With a sigh, for the sight of it brought up old memories, Miss Bennet lifted the cover by its loop of ribbon, took out a package of old letters, and went downstairs with the box, taking also a few bits of bright silk from a bundle in the chest. I can fit it up for a work box, she said, and I'm sure Hetty will like it. For many days after this, Miss Bennett had her secret work, which she carefully hid when she saw Hetty coming. Slowly in this way she made a pretty needle book, a tiny pincushion, and an emery bag like a big strawberry. Then, from her own scanty stock, she added needles, pins, thread, and her only pair of small scissors, scoured to the last extreme of brightness. One thing only she had to buy, a thimble, and that she bought for a penny, of brass so bright it was quite as handsome as gold. Very pretty the little box looked when full. In the bottom lay a quilted lining, which had always been there, and upon this the fittings she had made. Besides this Miss Bennet knit a pair of mittens for each of Hetty's brothers and sisters. The happiest girl in town on Christmas morning was Hetty Stanley to begin with she had the delight of giving the mittens to the children and when she ran over to tell miss bennett how pleased they were she was surprised by the present of the odd little work-box and its pretty contents christmas was over all too soon and new year's and it was about the middle of january that the time came which all her life miss bennett had dreaded the time when she should be helpless She had not money enough to hire a girl, and so the only thing she could imagine when that day should come was her special horror, the poorhouse. But that good deed of hers had already borne fruit, and was still bearing. When Hetty came over one day and found her dear friend lying on the floor as if dead, she was dreadfully frightened, of course, but she ran after the neighbors and the doctor and bustled about the house as if she belonged to it. Miss Bennet was not dead. She had a slight stroke of paralysis, and though she was soon better and would be able to talk and probably to knit and possibly to get about the house, she would never be able to live alone and do everything for herself as she had done. So the doctor told the neighbors who came in to help, and so Hetty heard, as she listened eagerly for news. "'Of course she can't live here any longer. She'll have to go to a hospital,' said one woman. "'Or to the poorhouse." More likely said another. She'll hate that said the first speaker. I've heard her shudder over the poorhouse. She shall never go there declared Hetty with blazing eyes. Hoity-toity, who's to prevent? asked the second speaker, turning a look of disdain on Hetty. I am was the fearless answer. I know all Miss Bennett's ways, and I can take care of her, and I will went on Hetty indignantly, and turning suddenly she was surprised to find Miss Bennet's eyes fixed on her with an eager, questioning look. "'There, she understands. She's better,' cried Hetty. "'Mayn't I stay and take care of you, dear Miss Bennet?' she asked, running up to the bed. "'Yes, you may,' interrupted the doctor, seeing the look in his patient's face, "'but you mustn't agitate her now. "'And now, my good women,' turning to the others, "'I think she can get along with her young friend here, "'whom I happen to know is a womanly young girl, "'and will be attentive and careful.' "'They took the hint and went away, "'and the doctor gave directions to Hetty what to do, "'telling her she must not leave Miss Bennet. "'So she was now regularly installed as nurse and housekeeper.' Days and weeks rolled by. Miss Bennet was able to be up in her chair, to talk and knit, and to walk about the house, but was not able to be left alone. Indeed, she had a horror of being left alone. She could not bear Hetty out of her sight, and Hetty's mother was very willing to spare her, for she had many mouths to fill. To provide food for two out of what had been scrimping for one was a problem, but Miss Bennet ate very little, and she did not resume her tea, so they managed to get along and not really suffer. One day Hetty sat by the fire with her precious box on her knee, which she was putting to rights for the twentieth time. The box was empty, and her sharp young eyes noticed a little dust on the silk lining. "'I think I'll take this out and dust it,' she said to Miss Bennet, "'if you don't mind.' "'Do as you like with it,' answered Miss Bennet. "'It is yours.' So she carefully lifted the silk, which stuck a little. "'Why, here's something under it,' she said. "'An old paper. And it has writing on.' bring it to me," said Miss Bennet. Perhaps it's a letter I have forgotten. Hetty brought it. Why, it's father's writing," said Miss Bennet, looking closely at the faded paper. And what can it mean? I never saw it before. It says, Look, and ye shall find. That's Bible text. And what is this under it? A word to the wise is sufficient. I don't understand. He must have put it there himself, for I never took that lining out. I thought it was fastened. What can it mean?" and she pondered over it long, and all day seemed absent-minded. After tea, when they sat before the kitchen fire, as they always did, with only the firelight flickering and dancing on the walls while they knitted, or told stories, or talked, she told Hetty about her father, that they had lived comfortably in this house, which he built, and that everybody supposed that he had plenty of money and would leave enough to take care of his only child but that when he died suddenly nothing had been found, and nothing ever had been, from that day to this. Part of the place I let to John Thompson, Hetty, and that rent is all I have to live on. I don't know what makes me think of old times so to-night." "'I know,' said Hetty, "'it's that paper, and I know what it reminds me of.' She suddenly shouted in a way very unusual with her, "'It's that tile over there,' and she jumped up and ran to the side of the fireplace and put her hand on the tile she meant. On each side of the fireplace was a row of tiles. They were Bible subjects, and Miss Bennett had often told Hetty the story of each one, and also the stories she used to make up about them when she was young. The one Hetty had her hand on now bore the picture of a woman standing before a closed door, and below her the words of the yellow bit of paper, "'Look, and ye shall find.' "'I always felt there was something different about that,' said Hetty eagerly. "'And, you know, you told me your father talked to you about it—about what to seek in the world when he was gone away, and other things.' "'Yes, so he did,' said Miss Bennet thoughtfully. "'Come to think of it, he said a great deal about it and in a meaning way. I don't understand it, she said slowly, turning it over in her mind. I do, cried Hetty, enthusiastically. I believe you are to seek here. I believe it's loose, and she tried to shake it. It is loose, she cried excitedly. Oh, Miss Bennett, may I take it out? Miss Bennett had turned deadly pale. Yes, she gasped, hardly knowing what she expected or dared to hope a sudden push from Hetty's strong fingers, and the tile slipped out at one side and fell to the floor. Behind it was an opening into the brickwork. Hetty thrust in her hand. "'There's something in there,' she said in an odd tone. "'A light,' said Miss Bennett hoarsely. There was not a candle in the house, but Hetty seized a brand from the fire and held it up and looked in. "'It looks like bags tied up,' she cried. "'Oh, come here yourself!' The old woman hobbled over and thrust her hand into the hole, bringing out what was once a bag, but which crumpled to pieces in her hands, and with it—oh, wonder—a handful of gold pieces, which fell with a jingle on the hearth and rolled every way. My father's money—oh, Hetty! was all she could say, and she seized a chair to keep from falling, while Hetty was nearly wild and talked like a crazy person. "'Oh, goody, goody, now you can have things to eat, and we can have a candle, and you won't have to go to the poorhouse.' "'No, indeed, you dear child,' cried Miss Bennet, who had found her voice. "'Thanks to you, you blessing, I shall be comfortable now the rest of my days, and you, oh, I shall never forget you. Through you has everything good come to me. Oh, but you have been so good to me, dear Miss Bennet. I should never have guessed it, you precious child. If it had not been for your quickness, I should have died and never found it. And if you hadn't given me the box, it might have rusted away in that chest. Thank God for everything, child. Take money out of my purse and go buy a candle. We need not save it for bread now. Oh, child, she interrupted herself, do you know we shall have everything we want tomorrow. Go, go, I want to see how much there is. The candle bought, the gold was taken out, and counted, and proved to be more than enough to give Miss Bennet a comfortable income without touching the principal. It was put back, and the tile replaced, as the safest place to keep it till morning, when Miss Bennet intended to put it into a bank. But though they went to bed, there was not a wink of sleep for Miss Bennet, for planning what she would do. There were a thousand things she wanted to do first, to get clothes for Hetty, to brighten up the old house, to hire a girl to relieve Hetty so that the dear child should go to school, to train her into a noble woman. All her old ambitions and wishes for herself sprang into life for Hetty, for not a thought of her future life was separate from Hetty. In a very short time everything was changed in Miss Bennet's cottage. She had publicly adopted Hetty, and announced her as her heir. A girl had been installed in the kitchen, and Hetty, in pretty new clothes, had begun school. Fresh paint inside and out, with many new comforts, made the old house charming and bright. But nothing could change the pleasant and happy relations between the two friends, and a more contented and cheerful household could not be found anywhere happiness is a wonderful doctor and miss Bennett grew so much better that she could travel and when hetty had finished school days they saw a little of the world before they settled down to a quiet useful life every comfort on earth i owe to you said hetty one day when miss Bennett had proposed some new thing to add to her enjoyment ah dear hetty How much do I owe to you? But for you I should no doubt be at this moment a shivering pauper in that terrible poorhouse, while someone else would be living in this dear old house. And it all comes, she added softly, of that one unselfish thought, of that one self-denial, for others. End of The Tell-Tale Tile by Olive Miller.
1: I am generally not a fan of Victorian literature, if I'm honest. I like Dickens, um, but that is about it. Um, I, did, I studied Victorian literature at university as part of, of the English portion of my English and Classics BA. Um, and I don't know, I find something flowery about it that I don't like. Um, it quite often, in my opinion, is a bit too, um, too wordy. I think. But it is very festive. Uh, of course, Charles Dickens is the reason why so many modern British Christmas traditions are as they are. Charles Dickens kind of revived Christmas in Britain. And a lot of what we consider to be, in inverted commas, traditional, in fact, just comes from his opinions and his books. Um, and so, you know, the, the Victoriana of this time of year is is quite nice. And, and I do I wish that I liked Victorian literature a little bit more so that I could enjoy it, I could enjoy it at any time of year. Um, But it is quite nice, I think, to experience it at Christmas. Our next story is called A Story of the Christ Child.
3: Story number 10 of the Children's Book of Christmas Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elisa McCaslin, July 2012. The Children's Book of Christmas Stories by Various Artists. A Story of the Christ Child by Elizabeth Harkinson. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, on the night before Christmas, a little child was wandering all alone through the streets of a great city. There were many people on the street—fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, uncles and aunts, and even gray-haired grandfathers and grandmothers—all of whom were hurrying home with bundles of presents for each other, and for their little ones. Fine carriages rolled by, express wagons rattled past, even old carts were pressed into service, and all things seemed in a hurry and glad with the expectation of the coming Christmas morning. From some of the windows bright lights were already beginning to stream until it was almost as bright as day, but the little child seemed to have no home, and wandered about listlessly from street to street. No one took any notice of him, except perhaps Jack Frost, who bit his bare toes and made the ends of his fingers tingle. The north wind, too, seemed to notice the child, for it blew against him and pierced his ragged garments through and through, causing him to shiver with cold home after home he passed looking with longing eyes through the windows in upon the glad happy children most of whom were helping to trim the christmas trees for the coming morrow surely said the child to himself where there is so much gladness and happiness some of it may be for me so with timid steps he approached a large and handsome house through the windows he could see a tall and stately christmas tree already lighted many presents hung upon it Its green boughs were trimmed with gold and silver ornaments. Slowly he climbed up the broad steps and gently rapped at the door. It was opened by a large man-servant. He had a kindly face, although his voice was deep and gruff. He looked at the little child for a moment, then sadly shook his head and said, "'Go down off the steps. There's no room here for such as you.' He looked sorry as he spoke. Possibly he remembered his own little ones at home, and was glad that they were not out in this cold and bitter night. Through the open door a bright light shone, and the warm air filled with fragrance of the Christmas pine rushed out from the inner room and greeted the little wanderer with a kiss. As a child turned back into the cold and darkness he wondered why the footman had spoken thus, for surely, thought he, those little children would love to have another companion join them in their joyous Christmas festival but the little children inside did not even know that he had knocked at the door. The street grew colder and darker as the child passed on. He went sadly forward, saying to himself, "'Is there no one in all this great city who will share the Christmas with me?' Farther and farther down the street he wandered to where the homes were not so large and beautiful. There seemed to be little children inside of nearly all the houses. They were dancing and frolicking about. Christmas trees could be seen in nearly every window, with beautiful dolls and trumpets and picture-books and balls and tops and other dainty toys hung upon them. In one window the child noticed a little lamb made of soft white wool. Around its neck was tied a red ribbon. It had evidently been hung on the tree for one of the children. The little stranger stopped before this window and looked long and earnestly at the beautiful things inside, but most of all was he drawn toward the white lamb. At last, creeping up to the window-pane, he gently tapped upon it. A little girl came to the window and looked out into the dark street where the snow had now begun to fall. She saw the child, but she only frowned and shook her head and said, "'Go away and come some other time. We're too busy to take care of you now.' Back into the dark, cold streets he turned again. The wind was whirling past him and stopped to say, "'Hurry on, hurry on. We have no time to stop.' "'Tis Christmas Eve, and everybody is in a hurry to-night." Again and again the little child rapped softly at door or window-pane. At each place he was refused admission. One mother feared he might have some ugly disease which her darlings would catch. Another father said he had only enough for his own children, and none to spare for beggars. Still another told him to go home where he belonged, and not to trouble other folks. The hours passed. Later grew the night and colder grew the wind, and darker seemed the street. Farther and farther the little one wandered. There was scarcely any one left upon the street by this time, and the few who remained did not seem to see the child, when suddenly ahead of him there appeared a bright, single ray of light. It shone through the darkness into the child's eyes. He looked up smilingly and said, "'I will go where the small light beckons. Perhaps they will share their Christmas with me.' Hurrying past all the other houses, he soon reached the end of the street and went straight up to the window from which the light was streaming. It was a poor little low house, but the child cared not for that. The light seemed still to call him in. From what do you suppose the light came? Nothing but a tallow candle which had been placed in an old cup with a broken handle in the window as a glad token of Christmas Eve. There was neither curtain nor shade to the small square window, and as a little child looked in he saw standing upon a neat wooden table a branch of a Christmas tree. The room was plainly furnished, but it was very clean, and near the fireplace sat a lovely-faced mother with a little two-year-old on her knee and an older child beside her. The two children were looking into their mother's face and listening to a story. She must have been telling them a Christmas story, I think. A few bright coals were burning in the fireplace, and all seemed light and warm within. The little wanderer crept closer and closer to the window-pane. So sweet was the mother's face, so loving seemed the little children, that at last he took courage and tapped gently—very gently—on the door. The mother stopped talking. The little children looked up. "'What was that, mother?' asked the little girl at her side. "'I think it was someone tapping on the door,' replied the mother. "'Run as quickly as you can and open it, dear, for it is a bitter cold night to keep anyone waiting in this storm.' "'Oh, mother, I think it was the bough of the tree tapping against the window-pane,' said the little girl. "'Do please go on with our story.' Again the little wanderer tapped upon the door. "'My child, my child!' exclaimed the mother, rising. "'That certainly was a rap on the door. Run quickly and open it. No one must be left out in the cold on our beautiful Christmas Eve.' The child ran to the door and threw it wide open. The mother saw the ragged stranger standing without, cold and shivering, with bare head and almost bare feet. She held out both hands and drew him into the warm, bright room. "'You poor dear child!' was all she said, and putting her arms round him she drew him close to her breast. "'He is very cold, my children,' she exclaimed. "'We must warm him.' "'And,' added the little girl, "'we must love him and give him some of our Christmas too.' "'Yes,' said the mother, "'but first let us warm him.' The mother sat down by the fire with the little child on her lap, and her own little ones warmed his half-frozen hands in theirs. The mother smoothed his tangled curls, and bending low over his head, kissed the child's face. She gathered the three little ones in her arms, and the candle and the firelight shone over them. For a moment the room was very still. By and by the little girl said softly to her mother, "'May we not light the Christmas tree and let him see how beautiful it looks?' "'Yes,' said the mother. With that she seated the child on a low stool beside the fire, and went herself to fetch the few simple ornaments which from year to year she had saved for her children's Christmas tree. They were soon so busy that they did not notice the room had filled with a strange and brilliant light. They turned and looked at the spot where the little wanderer sat. His ragged clothes had changed to garments white and beautiful. His tangled curls seemed like a halo of golden light about his head. But most glorious of all was his face which shone with a light so dazzling that they could scarcely look upon it. In silent wonder they gazed at the child. Their little room seemed to grow larger and larger until it was as wide as the whole world. The roof of their low house seemed to expand and rise until it reached the sky. With a sweet and gentle smile the wonderful child looked upon them for a moment, and then slowly rose and floated through the air, above the tree-tops, beyond the church-spire, higher even than the clouds themselves, until he appeared to them to be a shining star in the sky above. At last he disappeared from sight. The astonished children turned in hushed awe to their mother, and said in a whisper, "'Oh, mother, it was a Christ-child, was it not?' And the mother answered in a low tone, "'Yes.' and it is said dear children that each christmas eve the little christ child wanders through some town or village and those who receive him and take him into their homes and hearts have given to them this marvelous vision which is denied to others end of a story of the christ child by elizabeth harkison
1: the Tradition of the Christ Child appears a lot in Germanic cultures. If you are interested in that story and you haven't heard it, please do go back and listen to our show from the 3rd of December when I was talking to head of German at Wycliffe College, Nadia Stevens-Makesh, herself an Austrian national, um, who talks a little bit about the, the Christ Child and other Germanic, um, particularly Austrian, but uh, but Germanic cultural um christmas traditions
3: story number 12 of children's book of christmas stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by elisa mccaslin june 2012 the children's book of christmas stories by various artists why the chimes rang by Raymond McAlden There was once in a faraway country where few people had ever travelled, a wonderful church. It stood on a high hill in the midst of a great city, and every Sunday, as well as on sacred days like Christmas, thousands of people climbed the hill to its great archways, looking like lines of ants all moving in the same direction. When you came to the building itself, you found stone columns and dark passages, and a grand entrance leading to the main room of the church. This room was so long that one standing at the doorway could scarcely see to the other end, where the choir stood by the marble altar. In the farthest corner was the organ, and this organ was so loud that sometimes, when it played, the people for miles around would close their shutters and prepare for a great thunderstorm altogether no such church as this was ever seen before especially when it was lighted up for some festival and crowded with people young and old but the strangest thing about the whole building was the wonderful chime of bells at one corner of the church was a great grey tower with ivy growing over it as far up as one could see I say as far as one could see, because the tower was quite great enough to fit the great church, and it rose so far into the sky that it was only in very fair weather that anyone claimed to be able to see the top. Even then one could not be certain that it was in sight. Up and up and up climbed the stones and the ivy, and as the men who built the church had been dead for hundreds of years, everyone had forgotten how high the tower was supposed to be. Now all the people knew that at the top of the tower was a chime of Christmas bells. They had hung there ever since the church had been built, and were the most beautiful bells in the world. Some thought it was because a great musician had cast them and arranged them in their place. Others said it was because of the great height, which reached up where the air was clearest and purest. However that might be, no one who had ever heard the chimes denied that they were the sweetest in the world. Some described them as sounding like angels far up in the sky, others as sounding like strange winds singing through the trees, but the fact was that no one had heard them for years and years. There was an old man living not far from the church who said that his mother had spoken of hearing them when she was a little girl, and he was the only one who was sure of as much as that. They were Christmas chimes, you see, and were not meant to be played by men or on common days, it was the custom on Christmas Eve for all the people to bring to the church their offerings to the Christ child, and when the greatest and best offering was laid on the altar, there used to come, sounding through the music of the choir, the Christmas chimes far up in the tower. Some said that the wind rang them, and others that they were so high that the angels could set them swinging, but for many long years they had never been heard. It was said that people had been growing less careful of their gifts for the Christ child, and that no offering was brought great enough to deserve the music of the chimes. Every Christmas Eve the rich people still crowded to the altar, each one trying to bring some better gift than any other, without giving anything that he wanted for himself, and the church was crowded with those who thought that perhaps the wonderful bells might be heard again but although the service was splendid and the offerings plenty only the roar of the wind could be heard far up in the stone tower now a number of miles from the city in a little country village where nothing could be seen of the great church but glimpses of the tower when the weather was fine lived a boy named pedro and his little brother they knew very little about the Christmas chimes, but they had heard of the service in the church on Christmas Eve, and had a secret plan, which they had often talked over when by themselves, to go see the beautiful celebration. "'Nobody can guess, little brother,' Pedro would say, "'all the fine things there are to see in here, and I have even heard it said that the Christ-child sometimes comes down to bless the service. What if we could see him?' The day before Christmas was bitterly cold with a few lonely snowflakes flying in the air and a hard white crest on the ground sure enough pedro and little brother were able to slip quietly away early in the afternoon and although the walking was hard in the frosty air before nightfall they had trudged so far hand in hand that they saw the lights of the big city just ahead of them indeed they were about to enter one of the great gates in the wall that surrounded it when they saw something dark on the snow near their path and stepped aside to look at it it was a poor woman who had fallen just outside the city too sick and tired to get in where she might have found shelter the soft snow made of a drift a sort of pillow for her and she would soon be so sound asleep in the wintry air that no one could ever waken her again all this pedro saw in a moment and he knelt down beside her and tried to rouse her even tugging at her arm a little as though he would have tried to carry her away he turned her face toward him so that he could rub some of the snow on it, and when he had looked at her silently a moment, he stood up again and said, It's no use, little brother. You will have to go on alone. Alone? cried little brother, and you not see the Christmas festival? No, said Pedro, and he could not keep back a bit of a choking sound in his throat. See this poor woman? Her face looks like the Madonna in the chapel window, and she will freeze to death if nobody cares for her. Everyone has gone to the church now, but when you come back, you can bring someone to help her. I will rub her to keep her from freezing, and perhaps get her to eat the bun that is left in my pocket. But I cannot bear to leave you and go on alone," said little brother. Both of us need not miss the service," said Pedro, and it had better be I than you. You can easily find your way to church, and you must see and hear everything twice, little brother, once for you and once for me. I am sure that Christ-child must know how I should love to come with you and worship him. And, oh, if you get a chance, little brother, to slip up to the altar, without getting in any one's way, take this little silver piece of mine and lie it down for my offering when no one is looking. Do not forget where you have left me, and forgive me for not going with you." In this way he hurried little brother off to the city, and winked hard to keep back the tears as he heard the crunching footsteps sounding farther and farther away in the twilight it was pretty hard to lose the music and splendor of the christmas celebration that he had been planning for so long and spend the time instead in that lonely place in the snow the great church was a wonderful place that night everyone said that it had never looked so bright and beautiful before when the organ played and the thousands of people sang the walls shook with the sound and little pedro way outside the city wall felt the earth tremble around him at the close of the service came the procession with the offerings to be laid on the altar rich men and great men marched proudly up to lie down their gifts to the christ child some brought wonderful jewels some baskets of gold so heavy that they could scarcely carry them down the aisle A great writer laid down a book that he had been making for years and years, and last of all walked the king of the country, hoping with all the rest to win for himself the chime of the Christmas bells. There went a great murmur through the church, as the people saw the king take from his head the royal crown, all set with precious stones, and lie it gleaming on the altar as his offering to the holy child. Surely everyone said, we shall hear the bells now, for nothing like this has ever happened before but still only the cold old wind was heard in the tower, and the people shook their heads, and some of them said, as they had before, that they never really believed the story of the chimes, and doubted if they ever rang at all. The procession was over, and the choir began the closing hymn. Suddenly the organist stopped playing, and everyone looked at the old minister, who was standing by the altar, holding up his hand for silence not a sound could be heard from any one in the church but all the people strained their ears to listen there came softly but distinctly swinging through the air the sound of the chimes in the tower so far away and yet so clear the music seemed so much sweeter were the notes than anything that had been heard before rising and falling away up there in the sky that the people in the church sat for a moment as still as though something held each of them by the shoulders then they all stood up together and stared straight at the altar to see what great gift had awakened the long silent bells. But all that the nearest of them saw, was the childish figure of little brother, who had crept softly down the aisle when no one was looking and had laid Pedro's little piece of silver on the altar. End of Why the Chimes Rang by Raymond McAlden.
1: This show is brought to you in partnership with Johncat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines, specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today.
3: Story number 15 of The Children's Book of Christmas Stories This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elisa McCaslin, June 2012. The Children's Book of Christmas Stories by Various Artists. Little Wolf's Wooden Shoes by Francois Coupe. Once upon a time, so long ago that everybody has forgotten the date, in a city in the north of Europe, with such a hard name that nobody can ever remember it, there was a little seven-year-old boy named Wolf, whose parents were dead, who lived with a cross and stingy old aunt, who never thought of kissing him more than once a year, and who sighed deeply whenever she gave him a bowlful of soup. But the poor little fellow had such a sweet nature that, in spite of everything, he loved the old woman. Although he was terribly afraid of her, and could never look at her ugly old face without shivering. As this aunt of Little Wolf was known to have a house of her own, and an old woolen stocking full of gold, she had not dared to send the boy to a charity school. But, in order to get a reduction in the price, she had so wrangled with the master of the school, to which Little Wolf finally went, that this bad man vexed at having a pupil so poorly dressed, and paying so little, often punished him unjustly, and even prejudiced his companions against him, so that the three boys, all sons of rich parents, made a drudge and laughing stock of the little fellow. The poor little one was thus as wretched as a child could be, and used to hide himself in corners to weep whenever Christmas-time came. It was the schoolmaster's custom to take all his pupils to the midnight mass on Christmas Eve, and to bring them home again afterward. Now, as the winter this year was very bitter, and as heavy snow had been falling for several days, all the boys came well bundled up in warm clothes, with fur caps pulled over their ears, padded jackets, gloves and knitted mittens, and strong thick-soled boots. Only Little Wolf presented himself shivering in the poor clothes he used to wear both weekdays and Sundays, and having on his feet only thin socks in heavy wooden shoes. His naughty companions, noticing his sad face and awkward appearance, made many jokes at his expense. But the little fellow was so busy blowing on his fingers and was suffering so much with chilblains that he took no notice of them. So the band of youngsters, walking two and two behind the master, started for the church. It was pleasant in the church which was brilliant with lighted candles, and the boys excited by the warmth took advantage of the music of the choir and the organ to chatter among themselves in low tones. They bragged about the fun that was awaiting them at home. The mayor's son had seen, just before starting off, an immense goose, ready stuffed and dressed for cooking. At the alderman's home there was a little pine tree with branches laden down with oranges, sweets, and toys and the lawyer's cook had put on her cap with such care as she never thought of taking unless she was expecting something very good then they talked too of all that the christ-child was going to bring them of all he was going to put in their shoes which you might be sure they would take good care to leave in the chimney-place before going to bed and the eyes of these little urchins as lively as a cage of mice were sparkling in advance over the joy they would have when they awoke in the morning and saw the pink bag full of sugar-plums the little lead soldiers ranged in companies in their boxes the menageries smelling of varnished wood and the magnificent jumping-jacks in purple and tinsel. Alas! Little Wolf knew by experience that his old miser of an aunt would send him to bed supperless, but with childlike faith and certain of having been all the year as good and industrious as possible he hoped that the Christ child would not forget him, and so he too planned to place his wooden shoes, in good time, in the fireplace. Midnight mass over the worshippers departed eager for their fun, and the band of pupils always walking two and two, and following the teacher left the church. Now in the porch, and seated on a stone bench, set in the niche of a painted arch, a child was sleeping—a child in a white woolen garment, but with his little feet bare in spite of the cold. He was not a beggar, for his garment was white and new, and near him on the floor was a bundle of carpenter's tools in the clear light of the stars his face with its closed eyes shone with an expression of divine sweetness and his long curling blond locks seemed to form a halo about his brow but his little child's feet made blue by the cold of this bitter december night were pitiful to see the boys so well clothed for the winter weather passed by quite indifferent to the unknown child several of them sons of the notables of the town however cast on the vagabond looks in which could be read all the scorn of the rich for the poor of the well-fed for the hungry but little wolf coming last out of the church stopped deeply touched before the beautiful sleeping child oh dear said the little fellow to himself this is frightful this poor little one has no shoes and stockings in this bad weather and what is still worse he has not even a wooden shoe to leave near him to-night while he sleeps into which The little Christ-child can put something good to soothe his misery." And carried away by his loving heart, Wolf drew the wooden shoe from his right foot, laid it down before the sleeping child, and as best he could, sometimes hopping, sometimes limping, with his sock wet by the snow, he went home to his aunt. "'Look at the good-for-nothing!' cried the old woman, full of wrath at the sight of the shoeless boy. "'What have you done with your shoe, you little villain?' Little Wolf did not know how to lie, so, although trembling with terror, when he saw the rage of the old shrew, he tried to relate his adventure. But the miserly old creature only burst into a frightful fit of laughter. Ha! Ha! So my young gentleman strips himself for the beggars. Ha! 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 My young gentleman breaks his pair of shoes for a bare foot. "'Here is something new, forsooth. Very well. Since it is this way, I shall put the only shoe that is left into the chimney-place, and I'll answer for it that the Christ-child will put in something tonight to beat you with in the morning, and you will have only a crust of bread and water to-morrow, and we shall see if the next time you will be giving your shoes to the first vagabond that happens along.' And the wicked woman, having boxed the ears of the poor little fellow, made him climb up into the loft where he had his wretched cubbyhole. Desolate the child went to bed in the dark and soon fell asleep, but his pillow was wet with tears. But behold, the next morning when the old woman awakened early by the cold, went downstairs—oh, wonder of wonders!—she saw the big chimney filled with shining toys, bags of magnificent bonbons, and riches of every sort. And standing out in front of all this treasure was the right wooden shoe which the boy had given to the little vagabond. Yes, and beside it the one which she had placed in the chimney to hold the bunch of switches. As Little Wolf, attracted by the cries of his aunt, stood in an ecstasy of childish delight before the splendid Christmas gifts, shouts of laughter were heard outside, The woman and child ran out to see what all this meant, and behold, all the gossips of the town were standing around the public fountain. What could have happened? Oh, a most ridiculous and extraordinary thing! The children of the richest men in town, whom their parents had planned to surprise with the most beautiful presents, had found only switches in their shoes. Then the old woman and the child, thinking of all the riches in their chimney, were filled with fear. But suddenly they saw the priest appear, his countenance full of astonishment. Just above the bench, placed near the door of the church, in the very spot where, the night before, a child in a white garment and with bare feet, in spite of the cold had rested his lovely head, the priest had found a circlet of gold embedded in the old stones. Then they all crossed themselves devoutly, perceiving that this beautiful sleeping child with the carpenter's tools had been Jesus of Nazareth himself, who had come back for one hour, just as he had been when he used to work in the home of his parents, and reverently they bowed before this miracle, which the good God had done to reward the faith and the love of a little child. End of Little Wolf's Wooden Shoes by Francois Coupet
1: I think what's really striking me about these stories is their didactic nature. Um, the fact that, you know, they are festive, they are supposed to be Christmassy, uh, but they exist to kind of drive home the religious meaning of the holiday, which, of course, was still the Victorian kind of war on the, the revelry, the drunkenness that was associated with Christmas up until that point. Um, and also to try and teach these moral stories to children, try and keep them in line um, during this time of year by threatening them with beatings and, and you know, you are being watched and all that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, try and raise them into being good people. Um, it reminds me of, of talking to my year 12s about Christmas traditions in in French over the past three or four weeks. And, you know, we looked at the the, the Black Peter controversy In Belgium, which I spoke about on the show a couple of weeks ago, and all of the British children um, in year 12 were saying, well, you know, Christmas is supposed to be a nice time. It's supposed to be happy and jolly and joyous and, and, and pleasant. Why have we got giving people call. Why have we got Krampus terrorizing people? Uh, and so it's quite interesting to see that, that somewhere between the Victorian era and now, we've lost that idea of of using Christmas as a time to remind people of of how bad they can be. Um, and we've got this focus on how good they can be. And I think that's a positive change. I think it's good that we are focused now on on positivity and and good behavior, and that there is this innate goodness in most people, instead of just punishing everyone for being bad all the time.
3: Story number 17 of the Children's Book of Christmas Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elisa McCaslin, June 2012. CHILDREN'S BOOK OF CHRISTMAS STORIES BY VARIOUS ARTISTS A CHRISTMAS STAR BY CATHERINE Pyle. Come now, my dear little stars, said Mother Moon, and I will tell you the Christmas story. Every morning for a week before Christmas Mother Moon used to call all the little stars around her and tell them a story. It was always the same story, but the stars never wearied of it. It was the story of the Christmas star the Star of Bethlehem. When Mother Moon had finished the story the little stars always said, "'And the star is shining still, isn't it, Mother Moon, even if we can't see it?' And Mother Moon would answer, "'Yes, my dears, only now it shines for men's hearts instead of their eyes.' Then the stars would bid the Mother Moon good-night and put on their little blue nightcaps and go to bed in the sky-chamber. For the stars' bedtime is when people down on earth are beginning to waken and see that it is morning. But that particular morning when the little stars said good-night and went quietly away, one golden star still lingered beside Mother Moon. "'What is the matter, my little star?' asked the Mother Moon. "'Why don't you go with your little sisters?' "'Oh, Mother Moon,' said the golden star, "'I am so sad. I wish I could shine for some one's heart like that star of wonder that you tell us about.' "'Why aren't you happy up here in the sky country?' asked Mother Moon. "Yes." "'I've been very happy,' said the star, "'but to-night it seems just as if I must find some heart to shine for.' "'Then, if that is so,' said Mother Moon, "'the time has come, my little star, for you to go through the Wonder Entry.' "'The Wonder Entry? What is that?' asked the star, but the Mother Moon made no answer. Rising, she took the little star by the hand and led it to a door that it had never seen before. The Mother Moon opened the door and there was a long dark entry. At the far end was shining a little speck of light. What is this? asked the star. It is the Wonder Entry, and it is through this that you must go to find the heart where you belong," said the Mother Moon. Then the little star was afraid. It longed to go through the entry, as it had never longed for anything before, and yet it was afraid and clung to the Mother Moon. But very gently, almost sadly. The Mother Moon drew her hand away. "'Go, my child,' she said. Then wondering and trembling the little star stepped into the wonder entry, and the door of the sky-house closed behind it. The next thing the star knew it was hanging in a toy-shop with a whole row of other stars, blue and red and silver. It itself was gold. The shop smelled of evergreen and was full of Christmas shoppers, men and women and children, But of them all the star looked at no one but a little boy standing in front of the counter, for as soon as the star saw the child it knew that he was the one to whom it belonged. The little boy was standing beside a sweet-faced woman in a long black veil, and he was not looking at anything in particular. The star shook and trembled on the string that held it, because it was afraid lest the child would not see it, or lest, if he did, he would not know it as his star." The lady had a number of toys on the counter before her, and she was saying, Now I think we have presents for everyone. There's the doll for Lou, and the game for Ned, and the music box for May, and then the rocking horse and the sled. Suddenly the little boy caught her by the arm. Oh, mother, he said. He had seen the star. Well, what is it, darling? asked the lady. Oh, mother, just see that star up there. I wish, oh, I do wish I had it. "'Oh, my dear, we have so many things for the Christmas tree,' said the mother. "'Yes, I know, but I do want the star,' said the child. "'Very well,' said the mother, smiling. "'Then we will take that too.' So the star was taken down from the place where it hung, and wrapped up in a piece of paper, and all the while it thrilled with joy, for now it belonged to the little boy. It was not until the afternoon before Christmas, when the tree was being decorated, that the golden star was unwrapped and taken out from the paper. "'Here is something else,' said the sweet-faced lady. "'We must hang this on the tree. "'Paul took such a fancy to it that I had to get it for him. "'He will never be satisfied unless we hang it on too.' "'Oh, yes,' said someone else who was helping to decorate the tree. "'We will hang it here on the very top.' So the little star hung on the highest branch of the Christmas tree. That evening all the candles were lighted on the Christmas tree, and there were so many that they fairly dazzled the eyes, and the gold and silver balls, the fairies and the glass fruits, shone and twinkled in the light, and high above them all shone the golden star. At seven o'clock a bell was rung, and then the folding doors of the room where the Christmas tree stood were thrown open, and a crowd of children came trooping in they laughed and shouted and pointed and all talked together and after a while there was music and presents were taken from the tree and given to the children how different it all was from the great wide still sky house but the star had never been so happy in all its life for the little boy was there he stood apart from the other children looking up at the star with his hands clasped behind him and he did not seem to care for the toys and the games At last it was all over. The lights were put out, the children went home, and the house grew still. Then the ornaments on the tree began to talk among themselves. "'So that is all over,' said a silver ball. "'It was very gay this evening—the gayest Christmas I remember.' "'Yes,' said a glass bunch of grapes. "'The best of it is over. Of course people will come to look at us for several days yet, but it won't be like this evening.' "'And then I suppose we'll be laid away for another year,' said a paper fairy. Really it seems hardly worth while—such a few days out of the year and then to be shut up in the dark box again. I almost wish I were a paper doll." The bunch of grapes were wrong in saying that people would come to look at the Christmas tree the next few days, for it stood neglected in the library and nobody came near it. Everybody in the house went about very quietly with anxious faces, for the little boy was ill. At last one evening a woman came into the room with a servant. The woman wore the cap and apron of a nurse. That is it, she said, pointing to the golden star. The servant climbed up on some steps and took down the star and put it in the nurse's hand, and she carried it out into the hall and upstairs to a room where the little boy lay. The sweet-faced lady was sitting by the bed, and as the nurse came in she held out her hand for the star. Is this what you wanted, my darling, she asked, bending over the little boy. The child nodded and held out his hand for the star, and as he clasped it A wonderful, shining smile came over his face. The next morning the little boy's room was very still and dark. The golden piece of paper that had been the star lay on a table beside the bed. Its five points, very sharp and bright. But it was not the real star any more than a person's body is the real person. The real star was living and shining now in the little boy's heart and it had gone out with him into a new and more beautiful sky-country than it had ever known before—the sky-country where the little child angels live, each one carrying in its heart its own particular star. End of A Christmas Star by Catherine Pyle
1: Tim has texted in during that last story. Good morning to you. Always, always nice to hear from you. He says it's very interesting to hear the didactic tone of these stories and think, oh, we're not like that now. But how many times have we heard or been told, if you're not good, Father Christmas won't come? And that's that's absolutely true. Um, that's not something that that I considered when I made my comment earlier about how, um, how we are less attempting to control children's behaviour during Christmas uh, these days. And it is... It is quite interesting how often Father Christmas, who is supposed to be this figure of fun and unconditional love, I suppose, um, can be used as a threat um, and and a tool to try and keep children in line. I was talking about this with somebody yesterday um, and about how sad I am these days that, um, that parents will talk about texting Father Christmas or phoning Father Christmas. It kind of takes the magic away a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, We are now going to our final story of the morning, Um, linking quite nicely to to Father Christmas. We are going to hear about the Russian tradition of babushka.
3: Story number 22 of the Children's Book of Christmas Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elisa McCaslin, June 2012. The Children's Book of Christmas Stories by Various Artists. The Legend of Babushka. Adapted from the Russian. It was the night the dear Christ child came to Bethlehem. In a country far away from him an old, old woman named Babushka sat in her snug little house by her warm fire. The wind was drifting the snow outside and howling down the chimney, but it only made Babushka's fire burn more brightly. "'How glad I am that I may stay indoors,' said Babushka, holding her hands out to the bright blaze. But suddenly she heard a loud rap at her door. She opened it, and her candle shone on three old men standing outside in the snow. Their beards were as white as the snow, and so long that they reached the ground. Their eyes shone kindly in the light of Babushka's candle, and their arms were full of precious things, boxes of jewels and sweet-smelling oils and ointments.' We have travelled far, Babushka, they said, and we stopped to tell you of the baby prince born this night in Bethlehem. He comes to rule the world and teach all men to be loving and true. We carry him gifts. Come with us, Babushka." But Babushka looked at the drifting snow and then inside at her cosy room and the crackling fire. "'It is too late for me to go with you, good sir,' she said. The weather is too cold." She went inside again and shut the door and the old men journeyed on to Bethlehem without her. But as Babushka sat by her fire, rocking, she began to think about the little Christ-child, for she loved all babies. "'Tomorrow I will go to find him,' she said. "'Tomorrow, when it is light, and I will carry him some toys.' So when it was morning, Babushka put on her long cloak, and took her staff, and filled her basket with the pretty things a baby would like—gold balls and wooden toys, and strings of silver cobwebs and she set out to find the Christ child. But, oh, Babushka had forgotten to ask the three old men the road to Bethlehem, and they travelled so far through the night that she could not overtake them. Up and down the road she hurried, through woods and fields and towns, saying to whomsoever she met, I go to find the Christ child. Where does he lie? I bring some pretty toys for his sake. But no one could tell her the way to go, and they all said, Farther on, Babushka, farther on. So she travelled on and on and on, for years and years. But she never found the little Christ child. They say that old Babushka is travelling still, looking for him. When it comes Christmas Eve and the children are lying fast asleep, Babushka comes softly through the snowy fields and towns, wrapped in her long cloak and carrying her basket on her arm, with her staff She raps gently at the doors and goes inside and holds her candle close to the little children's faces. "'Is he here?' she asks. "'Is the little Christ child here?' And then she turns sorrowfully away again, crying, "'Farther on, farther on.' But before she leaves she takes a toy from her basket and lays it beside the pillow for a Christmas gift. For his sake," she says softly, and then hurries on through the years and forever in search of the little Christ child. End of The Legend of Babushka. Adapted from the Russian.
1: I love how every culture that celebrates Christmas has come up with this gift giving figure. At this time of year, how they've all taken the the analog of the three kings, and you know, in some cases, it is the three kings themselves. Uh, we have the three kings visiting in Spain, for example, on the sixth to bring presents. Uh, in others, it has become Father Christmas. In others, it has become the old woman Babushka, um, and how <clears throat> how Christmas has has kept this meaning. This, this gift giving. I, in 2022, have been given the amazing gift of spending breakfast on a Saturday morning with you all uh, since the summer. I can't believe that we've been doing this now since the beginning of July. Um, I do feel very privileged to have been given this platform, to have been given these opportunities to, to speak with you. I've had some wonderful guests on my show. Um, from Tim, who was both my first and second guest, Uh, where we talked about children's literature, through Kev, with whom I spoke about home learning, through to Teresa, and we spoke about um, what it's like to juggle being a parent of a chronically ill child with being a teacher, through to Nadia, who has been on my show twice. Uh, We've been celebrating all things German. Um, I had Lucy on as well, and we discussed lots of German stuff in there. And to everybody who has given their time to to text in, to call in, to talk to me, who has given me ideas for shows, who has volunteered to come on in 2023, Um, I am so, so grateful to all of you. Uh, And of course, I am so very grateful to Tom for giving me the opportunity to be here to begin with, um, and to all of the behind-the-scenes workers at Teachers Talk Radio who take care of getting Pogbeam ready for me every week, who take care of promoting the tweets that I put out about the show, who take care of the promotion that, that I'm not involved with and I just, I just get to retweet because it's already there for me. So thank you to all of you, um, without whom none of this would be possible. And naturally, thank you to, to my listeners. Thank you to those of you who listen diligently and without fail every week. Uh, I very much appreciate your comments. I appreciate your texts. I appreciate everything that you have done over the last um, last six months. Uh, and to those of you who come in and out of the show, who choose to opt in when it's a subject that interests you and and to listen to somebody else when that's a subject that interests you, thank you to you too. Um, because I think as teachers, it's quite often for us to... Forget that we have something to offer. It's quite easy to to assume that we all do things in the same way. Uh, that teaching is just a a profession of mimicry, where we all teach in in exactly the same style, in exactly the same manner, the exact same content. And so it's nice to be reminded um, that some of the things that I do are different, and that that people do want to hear what I have to say in the same way that I want to hear what what you all have to say. Please do tune in tomorrow. We've got Brent at 1pm. We've got Maud at 5pm. And we've got Tom at 8pm. That's tomorrow, Sunday, the 18th of January of January of December. I'm wishing my holiday away already. aren't I <laughs> um, that is it from me in 2022. Uh, because of course, the TTR break begins on Thursday and so this is our last Saturday breakfast show for a little while. I in fact will be back with you on Saturday January the 7th, um 3 weeks from today. Uh and I am already planning that show. I am already planning everything that we're going to do with our Saturday mornings in 2023 and I honestly cannot wait for that. I'm looking forward to January the 7th, but before we get there I am gonna make sure that I am present at every point in my Christmas holidays because it's very important to remember to be present, to remember to be relaxed, uh, to remember to make the most of whatever you get to do over the next few weeks to recharge those batteries ready for the spring term because that will be with us before we know it. Uh, And I hope that you will all do the same. A very Merry Christmas to those of you who are celebrating a very happy break to those of you who do not have a festival over the next three weeks but are just taking the time to to rest and to any of my listeners who are not teachers and in fact don't get the next three weeks off um a very very peaceful season to you and i hope that whatever you have to do goes smoothly goes quickly and that you can enjoy yourselves thank you very much And a very Merry Christmas to you all.